Hello, ski racing fans, and welcome to the American Downhillers podcast, season three, episode number three. Today's podcast is all about Bormio. I'm two-time Olympian Doug Lewis, and way back in 1985 at the World Championships, I finished third at Bormio, the first ever race on the track that has become known as the most challenging course on circuit. Joining me is AJ Kitt, who raced to second place in Bormio in 1995, and Marco Sullivan, who had four top 15s on the Bormio course, and Darren Rawls, who won two World Cups at Bormio, as well as the silver medal at the Worlds in the Downhill on the Bormio track. And as our special guest, we have an amazing champion from Austria, an Olympic downhill silver medalist, a downhill world champion, winner of 19 World Cups, including in three downhills at Bormio. Please welcome Michael Volkoffer all the way from Austria. Michael, where are you and did you get to ski today? Yeah, hi guys. Great to be with you and this talk. I'm at home sitting in my office in the hotel in Zausensee. It's in the middle of Salzburgerland. And yeah, we have we get a lot of snow the last days. So perfect winter start for Christmas. It's done. Nice. Um, this is the American Downhillers podcast, but we were talking earlier and you said you started your career in slalom. How did you progress from slalom into speed? I I started my career in slalom 99 in was the ninth, ninth place in slalom was really brilliant for me, especially the Austrians were so strong at that time in downhill and it wasn't a chance for a young racer to get a a place or a start chance in, in their speed disciplines. So uh, I have the two slalom and that was not that bad, but uh, and the year over the 2000 millennium, the slalom skis are going shorter. And so I have to switch more to the downhill. And then some Herman get injured and uh, Max Franz get injured and then I had a, a, a place on, on our downhill our team and I have to, to do the dance and uh, but it was a, a hard uh, hard time because we are so strong in the team at that time. Yeah, talk a little bit about what it was like coming up for you in the era of Knaus and Meyer and Eberharder and, and all those great Austrian downhillers that, I mean, I was in the middle of it. My career was really, really strong in the early nineties. And then those guys came in in the mid nineties and it was so much more difficult uh, to be competitive. What was it like as an Austrian coming up with those guys? It was very interesting. I was a little bit younger too, was three, four years than about Herman, uh, Tobel, Fritz or uh, Hans Knaus and all the that guys, and especially Herman, uh, he came uh, from over to hundred in one year, and and nobody knows him before, and that was really special for those guys. They are in the World Cup at that time, and Herman uh, watching this situation a little bit on on side and was was easier for me uh but uh, there was a really huge pressure on every of the team and uh you have if one uh, race get injured then you have to use uh this chance uh and do do a good job uh for 
last one or two races that you get this this chance. Yes. So Michael, you said uh, that season Werner Franz and Herman Meyer got injured. That gave you an opportunity to come in and do a race. And wh what race was that? And how did you finish? Uh, the season starts uh, at World Cup uh, in Aston with two slaloms in uh, November or December 2001. And there were the downhills in the US were canceled. And so our first downhill uh, this season was in December 2001 in Val And it was also my first World Cup downhill, or my, my second, my first in this season. And I, I was third and gave me a good chance for the next race. But my, Really, first downhill uh, race was in Kitbüll by the combine, 2001 in, in January, because uh, you you get more more uh, start places for for the Austrian because of the combine, and I get one as slalom racer, and and that uh, I did the ninth place. Uh, my first kids, kids build and first uh, World Cup race. But yeah. in the next race, after my ninth place in kids build, I didn't get a, a chance because Hans Knaus came back from his injury and, and I was out uh, on the team. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, your first race in kids build, I mean, obviously a lot of nerves. And it's hard to step up into that kind of race to get ninth in the downhill. And then the next week, you don't get a start. Michael, how did you feel so comfortable, like going from slalom into downhill? Um, did you train a lot of downhill when you were younger? I did train a lot of downhill. We have also at home in our ski resort, good chances for it. Uh, but then I switched more for slalom. I, I love the ski slalom. And when I was in start two times in Schlabming by the night race. It's a huge race, uh, a lot of fans there, about 40, 45,000 watching the race. And I say, what are the downhillers? We have Schlabming, a great night race. There's so uh, great atmosphere there. But uh, one year later, when I start first time on Kitzbühel downhill, uh, it was much bigger there because uh, you're fighting not just for a good good victory or you're fighting also for your life it's <laughs> it was was more was really great uh, a feeling if you uh, came over the finish line after the first run in Pittsburgh. talk about being on the team what was the team atmosphere on such a strong team for sure, not everybody working together, but yeah, it was sometimes uh, really atmosphere. We are nearly friends, for sure, more than less. It's near, uh, nearly the same in, as in a company. You you have friends or uh, more than less, and uh, so it's the same in the in the team, but. Uh, Big thing was um, we are more working more together than us, and that's what was enough to be to be successful. Two of the 
couple teammates that you worked the most with? It's a little, very difficult question. Paul Fritz or Ben Reich or also Herman Mayer are uh, good friends of mine, but uh, at the end of the day, it's not easy to share all those uh, good information you got about uh, the key equipment or something like that. It was always a little bit special, for sure, but uh, we, we try to share a little bit, yes, but not everything. <laughs> hey, I want to I hear a little bit more about when you were younger in the downhill training that you did when you were a, a younger ski racer coming up. Um, how, how old were you when you first ran your first downhill or began to do some downhill training? For sure, I grew up in the ski area in South Asia. Uh, I was on ski maybe with three years of age, but uh, I raced my first uh, race with an age of eight, so it was not that early. And with, with then I came to to swimming in a secondary school, and it was also a boarding school with focus on skiing, and that was really great for me. So we. I've been there in our class, so about 10 or 12 boys who want to uh, be faster in, in skiing. And our trainer made a very different program with us. We are skiing with cross-country skiing, jumping over different bumps uh, uh, and do a lot of uh, special uh, and also off-base skiing a lot of so i think that was also a reason we, we didn't ski that many uh, in the gates for sure also slalom and gs gates was important but not just uh gates and when i when we have been 10 or 12 we go up with the counter line flapping at first uh, with the first tunnel and eight in the morning no People was there, and we just going uh, down from top till the uh, over the, the track uh, in in hockey. At the moment, it's not allowed for the teacher for the trainer to, to do this with with young people, and uh, so it was a different time without helmet, without any fences. And now you have to secure everything, and it makes it in the moment a little bit harder for the for the coaches to to do those things that we we have done. In America, we call it bombing. We tell the kids to just go up to the top and ski down as fast as they can, and they just don't hit any of the public. Just ski around them, and that's called bombing. bombing. The ski patrol. Yeah. The ski patrol hates the bombing. <laughs> if you've ever dreamed of going to Wengen or Kitzbühel to watch the classic World Cup downhills, the ADL Ski Club is for you. Their small group trips are geared for passionate skiers and big race fans. They take you to the heart of ski racing's biggest races at the Laberhorn, Honenkamm, and Schladming Night Slalom. This year's trip to Wengen still has space available. If you and some friends want to experience one of the greatest classic downhills and do some big Swiss free skiing, just mention American Downhillers and save $800 now. Our own AJ Kidd has been on both the Wengen and Kitzbühel trips. 
the ADL has a ton of special access passes to the races, parties, and athletes which make the Ski World Cup unique among all professional sports. Now is the perfect time to get your name on the list for this year's Bengen Lauberhorn trip or next year's Kids trip. Visit ADL Ski Club, that's ADLSkiClub.com and reach out to them to secure your spot. You were so strong, Michael, and the Austrians have ever always been so strong, but after two races this year, you got a ninth is your biggest, your best Austrian, Babinski, 13th is Kriegmeier, this is overall, and 19th is Marco Schwartz. Can you talk about the Austrian speed team now? Is it injuries? Is it retirement? Or what's wrong with the Austrian downhill team? Nothing is wrong with the team, but they are not that strong for sure. But we have some really good races, especially the ninth place for Marco Schwartz was brilliant. He is uh, really good in the moment in slalom and GS, and he's starting his uh, downhill career in the moment. And I I'm sure we can see him. Uh, he brings a good uh, race his next next time. But uh, the Super G victory was on Vince Griechmeier in in Valgadena. He's also in really good shape, especially for me. It's a race he can do really good. I think so. And uh, yeah, we have not that many. Strong races. We are have just uh, someone, and we will see. In Bomir, uh, Emmet Berger, Dani is also have been in Super G second in in Valgadena, and I, I remember have done a great training last year at Bomir. So maybe he can perform there. It sounds like you're still uh, definitely watching ski racing a lot. Are you involved with the team at all? Are you helping those guys or? Are you just a fan now? I I'm just a fan now. My my only connection to the to the skiing families. Uh, we are in a two-year wheel with uh, Saint Anton in Zauchensee. We are the women's World Cup classica, uh, and from the 12th till the 14th of January, we have three races in Zauchensee, and I'm the president of the organization committee here and so i have to do a little bit with the ski family but not that many all right moving on to bormio first question is going to be very short what's one word only one word and yours can be in german michael one word to describe the bormio course who wants up first oh. scary <laughs> scary marco says scary i will say it's it's a very tough, tough course. Yeah. I'm going to go with tiring, but I got a lot of other words for it too. <laughs> D money. I'd say fun. Fun. Uh, yeah. I'll say intense from the first jump five seconds yeah. into the bottom. It's intense. Uh, Michael, you won three times there. What's one memory that you had that's amazing. And can you describe it at Bormio? Well, Bormio was physically very uh how do you say demanding and if you see the races in the finish line everybody was just uh, on the limit and that was the special thing and that for me uh, there is no chance to rest in the whole track so it's uh, 
full speed and technical parts from start to the finish. Yeah, that was core for me for me, and especially the first race after Christmas, a lot of good food at home, and then you come to Borneo, and it was just uh, tough. Yeah, what do you think your strength was at Borneo? Why were you so dominant in Borneo, and not just three wins, but on the podium a number of times as well? I think it's a course where you need from all things a little bit so you have to be a good glider there are huge jumps and some uh difficult technical parts and it's a uh, high speed detection in the in the first um, uh half of the of the course and all those together i think is it is bormio and uh if you see valgadina it's a course normally for good gliders and uh Bormio you need everything and maybe uh that was good for me and so it's also uh I'm for sure I was normally better in 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 Valgadena or like Luis but these courses are easier and easier courses maybe more difficult win because there are more more races they could could be passed on on that course and um, Bormio the the races they could win this course are not that many and yeah maybe that's the reason hopefully <laughs> yeah I, I kind of agree with you I think Bormio is like the whole package and I don't know if it gets enough recognition for for all the different elements that it has. I mean, you know, Vengen's known for the high speeds of, of Hanek Schuss and the, and the total overall length. And, you know, Kitzbühel's known for the Zielschuss and the Mausafali. And, you know, so all these other courses are kind of known for the, the maximums that they have. But Bormio really brings everything. I mean, like Darren said, you go out of the start and one turn, you're off this huge, you launched off this huge jump, right? You land and the next thing you know, you're just rocketed down this, this uh, turbo road with maximum speed. And then, at the end of that, you've got four gigantic turns that are huge, uh, it require huge strength. And then, you know, then you've got another traverse and, a, a, you know, just like you said, Michael, there's no let up. There's no, you're at the limit all the time. You're at the limit of speed. You're at the limit of air. You're at the limit of turns. And then before you know it, you've got, you know, you're coming into the final 30 seconds of the race and you're, you're at the limit of your energy. You, you're just so tired at the end. And I think for me, that's what's uh, about Bormio is that it's just you're at the limit all the time and then, I mean it's it's a thrilling course to race uh, but I don't know if Bormio really gets the recognition that it deserves by being one of the greatest courses that we have I'm going to put Marco on the spot uh, all of us have podiums there Marco um, <laughs> you have like four top 15s was it something about this course did you feel like you lacked something what didn't you understand about this course I think the part that always got me was the final pitch. And the reason yeah. I my word was scary was that I, my legs were always smoked coming into the last pitch and it was so icy and bumpy. And I just, even if I was like in shape at certain years it, in my head, I never had the confidence to like really charge the last pitch. I was always felt like I was done and there was still, you know, those four turns to go. And I think that's why I just never was able to 
like really master that thing and uh yeah it's one of those courses that probably i uh was actually scared in the start my first couple times there which i don't think happened on any other course you know formula form, you know, just always had my had me <laughs> i never overcame it well marco you know i try to share some of my training for Bormio uh, routines and that one time I took you atop a Donner summit we put some weight vests on and and uh, it was the full maximum limit you know sprinting up the mountain and then doing it a couple of times and we're laying there I mean maybe you could explain that a little bit but that was to me the way I got prepared for Bormio it was physical just max effort plus that mental grind and knowing that you're training harder than you'll ever have to race at a level physically, you know, but, um, after that one time, I don't think you came back and did it again with me. <laughs> yeah. In hindsight, <laughs> I probably should have done a few more of those sessions with Darren. I mean, it was always impressive to watch guys like Darren, like Michael. I mean, you guys were in my generation, the, the epitome of like toughness, you know, coming onto that final pitch at Bormio and just still charging that was so cool to watch. And I think that's what definitely what it takes to, to be good on that hill. It was a limit that you're on and everybody's hurting physically, but it's also a mental game at the bottom of Bormio, just continue to fight. But what was your toughest training situation physically going into the season to basically get prepared for the Bormio race? Yeah. Right. The finish era was always a fight for survival. And and oh, we drained the whole yeah what happened and then I any more fight but uh, in the end you have to focus for the victory and then you can can uh, just feel the the course and and not your legs and. Uh, Bormier, uh, before after San Pietro, there about uh, five or seven seconds, uh, you are in the hockey and you can think about, oh, I'm tired. But then came the last part and you haven't time to think about it. And that is just um, a fight. And uh, for for everyone and and but that's that's the game and uh, that makes it special and that makes it so, make the feeling so good in the finish if you are doing good. So I ran it in 1985, the first ever time it was run, uh, but it was in March, so lots of sun and a little bit easier. But because it was our first race ever, we took every training run. It always seems to me, and you guys can talk about this, at Bormio especially, sometimes they don't push on training runs. They might not take all the training runs. Is that just to save your energy and save your legs? And what was your technique, Michael, on training runs at Bormio? Uh, at first, you're right. For Bormio, I mean, you have two places. In December, it's very dark there. Uh, the sun is so flat, and in, in February or March, there is... Much better light there, and it's a little bit not easier but different. And that's also a good, good uh, input. You say 
uh, trainings, you have to save uh, a little bit energy. And some of the races are doing a perfect and brilliant training run. And you mean, can I beat them tomorrow? Because they are doing so well in training. But uh, in the end of the day, you saw that they uh, put all they have in the training and then uh, the race is coming and they may be a little bit tired or empty and that brings the chance to the other races. And sometimes I have been the lucky guy uh, to, to did it on the race day. <laughs> because if I did good in training, then I, I was worse in race. And I I need a lot of fresh on the on my race day. And if I had a bad training run, then breath was more on my mind. And uh I did my best races always on on a big pressure. And I did also Normally, I'm not. I wasn't a good training racer. I need, I need this focus for the race, and it was not a tactic. It was my my way for for be successful. That's super important yeah. to have that self awareness. Marco, Darren, AJ, did you want to have confidence from a training run, or did you like? Were you like Michael Volkoffer? Talk about how you like to go into the race. Yeah, I definitely like to have a good training run, but I mean, in a place like Bormio and Vengen, where it's so physically depleting, de demanding, it just takes your energy. I I definitely held back in training at both of those places, and I do remember skipping training runs. I both Vengen and Bormio, I would try to take the first training run and then skip one and then go race. Not in my first years, but after you know, after six or eight years there, you know the course and and you can you can maybe. Uh, survive without taking every training run. It's uh, physically for me, it was better. I remember a lot of times in Bormio for us, there was only one scheduled training run because it was right after Christmas. Guys didn't want to travel on Christmas, and I remember several years like you know they just just scheduled one training and then race the next day. So it was full on. Like I I would try to get a pretty solid training run just to be comfortable on the course. Um, but yeah, then hopping right into the race and being a little little tired already, I guess. And my tactic was to push really hard through the course and then ease up on the bottom. Um, I just felt like I wanted to have that intensity and I was confident in myself, like fitness, where I could go do a good recovery right after the training run and be ready the next day. And I think my the standout race for me in Bormio was I won two training runs and the race. So three days in a row just had like unbelievable amount of like speed and confidence. And it always helped me to be fast on training. And then knowing that I could recover and be ready for the next day. One thing earlier in our career, we had played a lot of hockey over Christmas with the Canadians. And I remember like, you know, two days of playing hockey, ice skating, and then trying to go in the Bormio first training run where your legs are already tired was not a good, you know, a tactic or approach for that race. So later my career started really more focusing on just being physically fresh and, and prepped and ready to go and, 
I think that the Christmas meals were good because you get a lot of like calories and, you know, energy from a big Christmas meal, but then uh, relax and save some strength for each day on snow. And Formula was, was tough too, because sometimes we go there, there'd be no snow for training. So I remember going up to the middle uh, lodge there by San Pietro uh, jump and just taking running shoes and having to go for a jog and do some plyos and all that, because we did not make a turn on, you know, like in a training course before we had the race, race run. So it was always kind of a challenge, like getting yourself physically ready for that, that track as well. Hey, Doug Lewis here, and I want to talk about the American Downhiller Speed Camp. American Downhiller is the leader in teaching young ski racers how to go fast and have fun. 2023 will mark the sixth annual American Downhiller Speed Skills Camp in Mammoth Mountain. Our speed camp is coached exclusively by current and former World Cup racers and coaches who are passionate about helping the next generation of athletes achieve their dreams. We specifically focus on aerodynamics, jumping technique, speed tactics, and the mental training required to safely navigate Super G and downhill race courses. If you are a ski racer who wants to go fast, check out our website, americandownhiller.com for all specific camp dates. Michael and Darren, who have won the course, um, is there a critical spot or thinking back where you won it always or did you win it in different spots uh michael you can go first you had three wins darren you had two plus the silver medal as i believe i i wanted for me uh between the traverse and the san pietro camp. Uh, that was for me the, my my hot spot because it's a high speed compression and i'm a, a tall racer and it was very important for me to have a good uh, uh, body tension and that was was all, always in my focus to be compact and not that um, high and, and just let that part uh, it was always for me important to, to be uh, compact and uh, it was my my special uh, yeah, I think uh, it, it's hard to pick out one because you got to be competitive and fast everywhere, top to bottom. And I would say, uh, Michael's saying that was uh, the entrance, the left footer going into the traverse was really important. I remember putting one of my best turns down, like race after race. There on that left foot, as you come back under the chair, entering the traverse, you take, and if you come in clean and fully commit to rolling up on the edge, and not throwing like any snow or hitting the brakes at all. It's a, it's a big turn. It's almost like a 180 degree turn coming back. And I felt like I made a lot of speed there, taking it across the traverse. And then really at the bottom, you know, focusing on good aerodynamics, no matter how tired and scared you are, just trying to keep those, those hands in front of you to break the, um, you know, break the wind. And going back to what Michael was saying, being really compact, and having that tension in the core and all that pressure you're driving in the skis and you're, you're taking it, you're projecting in the next turn. And so those last couple of turns on the last pitch going to the finish, I felt that's where I was making up some more time as well on, um, you know, on the track. Wend produces a sophisticated line of ski and snowboard waxes for use by skiers, riders, racers, and shops. The current WEND snow wax formulations have come from over 50 years of progressive blend reformulation 
and on-slope and in-lab testing. This has been in conjunction with the feedback of some of the world's top ski and snowboard athletes. Athletes who know real speed, like Kitzbühel champ Darren Rolfs and 2019 Birds of Prey GS champion Tommy Ford. When no longer sells any products containing fluorocarbon compounds and instead utilizes natural, plant-derived and or biodegradable additives that substantially increase the overall eco-friendliness of the WEND Snow Wax product line. Give WEND a follow on Instagram at WEND Waxworks and purchase your WEND products at WENDPerformance.com. And don't forget to use the code ADH20 for 20% off your purchase. I had one question I wanted to ask Michael. I, I remember staying in the hotel one, I forget which race, but we were in the same hotel as you guys. And at breakfast, you had a plate of, you had like six pieces of bread and jam and butter. And I just, it like still is in my memory because you ate so much bread at breakfast. And I still think about that when people <laughs> are like gluten-free and stuff. Did you always, or did you have a, a certain breakfast you would eat? before a race or were you what was your strategy for eating on a race day or training day uh breakfast was my most important uh food in, in the day and i always try to celebrate a little bit the, the breakfast and and i need i need a coffee and a lot of time for breakfast and that brings me in my day uh but I couldn't remember. But in Austria, we have a really good bread, and we eat maybe more of them than you, U.S. guys. But uh, <laughs> was not my strategy. It was my uh, it's, it's my tradition. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I eat a, a lot more bread when I go to Austria and Switzerland because it's so good, much better than we have in America. And you also. You also have a uh, a cookbook, Michael, about um, certain like dishes from each World Cup stop. Is that was that kind of a tradition that you had through your career and decided to kind of like put that in a you know written form to share it with the world? But um, or is there like a couple of just your your favorite dishes that are that are in there, um, kind of tied into the World Cup season? Yeah, food is is very important for me and. Uh, the cookbook I write with my sh chef from the hotel together. The, so the stories comes from me, and uh, the receipts are coming from the chef. And but I uh, eat every thing in the book. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was very interesting and nice, like nice experience. Is your favorite? meal for dinner wiener schnitzel uh every kind of meat <laughs> yeah <laughs> Protein uh, for sure uh, in austria wiener schnitzel is is uh every every day good i'm gonna go back to being on the austrian team um i'm i don't know how it is now maybe they have their own rooms but i always had a roommate Sometimes it was Bill Johnson. It was a nightmare. He was not my best friend, but I I gravitated toward Michael Brown and we were just very similar. Who was your favorite roommate on tour and why? Are we At the end of my career, I was always in a single room. It was a privilege. It was really nice because sometimes you say it's, it's a nightmare to 
uh, because everybody focused on your um, things. Um, uh, but I have good memories on Christoph Gruber, or I've been three weeks in uh, with Steffi Eberhardt and Portilio in the same room. It was was really good, and we have a lot of fun there. Uh, so uh, it changed a little bit over the over the years. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say, look how big Michael is, six four. You know, it's like the rooms in Austria are pretty small. It's hard to fit two big guys, two big downhillers in the same room. Michael, do you still stay in touch with any of your old teammates, Everharder or Gruber or Meyer? You see those guys around? Yes, I do. Uh, it's not Austria is smaller for sure, but it's not easy to go for just for a coffee to Benny Reich. But I, I found with all those guys, especially Benny or Fritz Strobel or Herman. I phone with them sometimes, or we have a, a, a meeting together. And yeah, it's it's a good atmosphere when we meet each other. Yeah. So you guys, if you come to Austria, yeah, every I'm welcome in my hotel. Uh, I had an incredible experience a couple of years ago in uh, your hotel, Central, with you, Benny, and Gunther Mater. We were at the Stammtisch table and a uh, little evening, you know, gathering. And behind the table is this glass case of Michael's like crystal globes from downhill, Olympic world championship medals, all these incredible trophies. And just the, I mean, it looks, it feels like you're in a museum with all the hardware back there <laughs> from all the races, but it was really special. I remember um, we had some wines some schnapps and, and just hanging out with uh, Benny Reich and, Gunther Mader was a big idol of mine. He was like the number one guy that I paid attention to growing up. And then uh, you, of course, being one a really serious competitor for me, I had a lot of respect for you through my whole career. I watched what you were doing, Michael, like on the track and trying to pick up like, um, you know, your line and why you're skiing so fast. And I mean, to, to like take it from a competition level where you're fighting always for, you know, the fastest run. To like having a great friendship i really i mean it just it's 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 nice to have that later in life you know where you can connect with your friends and marco aj louis we all get together and we see each other quite a bit too and and uh it's nice to have that tight kind of you know family feeling with with your former teammates i got one question from my, michelle my wife she wanted to know how you and barbara met uh, not on on pace because Barbara isn't uh, a big fan of uh, ski racing, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's me. Also, well, that was for me always good because uh, when I come home after a race, we never have to talk about skiing. So all other things was important. Uh, not and so. Uh, no skiing was was on their plan. <laughs> I've I have a question. Hopefully, it doesn't get anybody in trouble. But I was in the bar when Bill Johnson and Klammer called him the nose picker, and there was a big fight. Austrians Americans was a little bit temp, intense. The relationship, however, on my side, Klammer Vernsberger, Hoflainer were really good friends. Michael, what was your relationship with the U.S. Team or with the U.S. athletes like Darren, was there a mutual respect? Did you kind of hate him a little bit, but also like him? 
No, I like them really a lot. Uh, the relationship to Darren was always uh, special, always very good, and you see, uh, it's uh, full of respect. And uh, my first fight for the downhill um, whole globe was was with uh, Tony Miller, and it was was a special year for me. It was 2004 or 5. And Cody did also a great season, downhill season. Uh, he won the gold medal in the World Championships in Bormir there and did second there and third. But in the end of the season, I was the, the downhill winner. And Cody was on my side and said, oh, that's the goal I want to get also. So uh, the overall downhill World Cup was important for him. And uh, Bodhi was really different to me because uh, I need the pressure uh, for for good races. And he, I think so, was the opposite. He have to be relaxed and he was fast and if he wanna things a lot of then it was he was not that good i think so maybe darren knows him better but um, yeah we have uh, some really good years together with darren and especially between uh 1001 till six um austrian and the U.S. downhill races was very successful. Marco, AJ, who was that Austrian nemesis or rival that you respected but also, you know, wanted to beat? I had Klaus Kroll and I were the same age, a little bit younger than Michael. But, uh, you know, when I was first on the World Cup, it was watching you know, Michael and Darren and Everharder and uh, Herman. You know, those guys were just so strong. Um, the Austrians to me were, they were the power team, like it said on, on the suits, you know, <laughs> like always trying to beat those guys. And later on, um, you know, once, once Michael retired and that crew kind of phased out, it was, you know, the Klaus Kroll and, uh, he was one that stood out in my mind because we were, we were the same age and we actually tied one time up for the podium at Lake Louise. We tied in for, for third place and which is kind of, uh, kind of funny because we were always battling for me it was more the swiss were the were the dominant team in my era i mean i was in there between the era of like stock and Vernsberger and hufflaner as those guys were retiring and before the era of of like herman meyer and eberharder and those guys um for sure there were some strong austrians i mean armin ossinger and i became good buddies um at, at the time but you know really it was heinzer was the guy like in my era. And then actually in the, in my last four years, uh, um, Luke Alphon was the, was the guy. So the French, I mean, it was, yeah, it was an era where there was a lot more, uh, uh parody, I think within, uh, all the teams in, in the middle nineties there. Uh, so, but for sure coming in for me, the Swiss were the group. I mean, it was, it was Zerbriggen and, and Daniel Marr and, and Peter Mueller were the, were the, the dominant, uh, ski racers in downhill at the time and, and Giardelli and I mean we had we had a, a great diversity of of uh of nations represented uh in downhill so kind of lucky to hit the Austrians when they were regrouping nice yeah when they were we got them when they were weak 
Uh, besides Bormio, Michael, was there a course on World Cup that you didn't win or you still think about, ah, I wanted to win that one or do better? I can remember. I think I'm winner nearly on every, nearly because I, I know one that was the was in, in Germany. I've been there just third. And I think every other I think you can win this one. It's not that bad. <laughs> That's an amazing stat. That's probably pretty rare for a downhiller to say. I mean, you really had the gliding skills and the technical skills and it's so rare to have someone that's actually won on every track. That's really cool. What I really enjoy is that you were a race day guy, Michael. Like you like the stress. Marco, AJ, Darren, were you that way or did you like training more and had to get up? I, I thought I was a race day guy too. I like the time, the timer on. I like the cameras on. I like the pressure. How about you, you three? Yeah, I like race day for sure. I was, I definitely, uh, that was what I was built for. Um, I, I can't say that that I dealt with the pressure as well as I would have liked to, but you know, I race day was what I lived for. I agree. My, me too. Like, you know, didn't always didn't always step up and and come through, but I was generally better on the race day, and uh, that was part of my strategy too. If I had a crappy training run, I was like, that doesn't matter. I'm I'm here for the race day. That's when it all matters. Doug Lewis here. If you are a U12, U14, or U16, Elite Team Fitness Camps are for you. This is not your average fitness camp as we teach the vital skills of sports psychology and sports nutrition along with tough, challenging workouts. You will leave camp with more power, strength, and agility, with a deeper understanding about nutrition, and with the mental skills of confidence, focus, and pushing limits, which will take you to the next level. Over our 30 years, we have coached Olympic champions, World Cup stars, NCAA champions, including USK teamers Michaela Schifrin, Lauren Masuga, Alice Merriweather, Jimmy Krupka, Grace Henderson, and Sammy Worthington. And finally, although we push our limits to the edge, we have a ton of fun. We are holding two week-long sessions this July at the Killington Mountain School. Find all the info at EliteTeam.com. Uh, so we're going to end with uh, picks. So the top three Bormio downhill. So I'll go first. I'm going to have Paris winning because he just came off Val Gardena. He's my back. Pick. Okay, but you can – I got second and third. So Why do you Paris get to go wins. first? You're the, you're the host. Come on. All right, I got Paris. I got – because we have Michael Volkoffer on, I'm going to go an Austrian, Kriegmeier in second, and I'm going to put RCS, who has won on this course uh, in Super G, and in second, I'm going to go RCS third. So those are my picks. Who wants next? I'm going to go with my tradition of – of sticking with the American winner, RCS is going to step up again. Um, Dominic Paris second, and Odermatt third. We're going to save Volkov for, for last. So okay. or- I'll, I'll jump in then. Okay, so I also like Paris. Um, I like Kilda, and I like Bryce Bennett. I think you forgot Vince Griechmeier, maybe. Yeah. It's difficult yeah. to pick. There's so many good guys. All right, we're going to end it with you, Volkoffer. You can't pick three Austrians. <laughs> yeah, I think Owitz uh, Griechmeier, Daniel Himmelsberger, and maybe uh, Bryce Benedict. Yeah, he is uh, not that bad and would be interesting to see him uh, inform you. Yeah. Nice. 
Thanks for listening and watching to our American Downhiller podcast. Special thanks to Michael Volkoffer, who defined the Austrian downhiller. Confident, tall, technical, with a feel for the ski. Please spread the word about the American Downhillers podcast. Share with your friends, coaches, teammates, and your club. You can find us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And thank to our American Downhiller sponsors, ADL Ski Club, Wend Wax, Elite Team Fitness Programs, and of course, the American Downhillers Camps. Stay tuned for more American Downhiller podcasts. For AJ, Darren, and Marco, thanks for listening.